This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 364. Thanks to Bioactive Nutrients for sponsoring this episode. They sell a device that will remove pollen, mold, smoke, pet dander, and other airborne particles from the air that can trigger allergies and create dangerous breathing conditions. It's called the Pioneer Smart Point Air Treatment System. Go to bioactivenutrients.com MTA and save up to $100 with the code MTA. Thanks also to the Drury Hotel Company, our longtime hotel sponsor. They've got over 150 locations across the U.S., and you can get 15% off your room if you stay using our link. Go to Drury, that's D-R-U-R-Y, DruryHotels.com forward slash M-T-A. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with Brendan Leonard, author of the book, I Hate Running and You Can Too, how to get started, keep going, and make sense of an irrational passion. Speaking of irrational passions, don't forget, inside the Academy, we have all kinds of courses, training plans, and more to equip you to run a marathon or an ultra, achieve that PR. We've got your back. Find out how to become a member when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So, wow, it's been a busy last uh, couple weeks since we last recorded. The Berlin Marathon and the London Marathon took place. Yeah, we're in the thick of it right now, and we mentioned on the last episode that Shalane Flanagan is trying to run all six world marathon majors under three hours. And she finished 17th in Berlin with a time of two hours, 38 minutes and 32 seconds. And then one week later, she showed up in London and ran 235.04. Now she has to do back-to-back Chicago one day and Boston the next. That's right. We've got Chicago coming up on October 10th and Boston October 11th. So that will be a real challenge. And she is, of course, a retired elite marathoner from the U.S., former winner of the New York City Marathon, and Olympian as well. So we did have some clients at Berlin who are out there just crushing it in their goals, so we'd like to make a couple shout-outs. Yes, this recap comes from Sarah. She says, yesterday's Berlin Marathon was a tough cookie, but thankfully I was able to get through it even though I didn't manage my A-goal. I can confirm what everyone else reported about the weather. It was hot, humid, and exhausting. After about eight kilometers, the heat was already getting to me in a big way. Once I got to the halfway mark, I was on point in terms of planned time and felt pretty good. But by kilometer 27, I felt absolutely destroyed. My husband and kids were at kilometer 30 and I stopped, breaking my one and only rule and had an absolute breakdown, also new for me, and cried. Once I got that out of my system, I got it back together and told myself, you can do hard things, and had something to drink and a gel and continued on. After that, I managed to get into the zone at a good pace and just put one foot in front of the other until I crossed the finish line. My official time was four hours, three minutes, and 15 seconds. Since this was only my second marathon, and my first was Berlin 2019, where I ran a time of five hours and 10 minutes, I did a personal best by nearly 70 minutes. Thanks to the amazing MTA coach Athena for helping me get this far. I couldn't have done it without you. And that comes from Sarah who lives in Germany. Great to hear that she was able to run a 403 and improve so drastically over her first Berlin marathon. That's right. And this note comes from Cecilia. She's also a coaching client. She says, I had high hopes for Berlin, but the weather was not on our side. Around 35 kilometers, the wheels came off and I struggled a lot, feeling nauseous. 
My finish time was 4 hours, 11 minutes, and 49 seconds, slower than I hoped for, but only after I finished did I fully realize how tough the conditions were and how everyone struggled, including the elites. And I still ran a PR of almost five minutes. Yeah, that's a good way to reframe it. She says, so in the end, I'm super happy about the race and the result. I just need to find a cooler one for my next attempt at getting that four-hour mark. And of course, a huge thanks to MTA coach Joel, who has put up with me for over three years now. Without him, I would never be in this place today. Yeah, she's running so well, and it's it's awesome to see, even on a hot day, was able to go out there and still finish in 4.11. So I know she'll hit that four-hour mark. That's right. And MTA coach Antonio also had a client run the Berlin Marathon. And we'd like to congratulate Thomas, who had an outstanding training cycle and got a PR of three hours, 58 minutes and 29 seconds, of course, under those very warm conditions. And we'd also like to say congratulations to another coaching client named Bill. He says, immense gratitude to MTA coach Steve, who advised me well yesterday prior to the Portland Marathon to hold back in the early miles and turn on the jets for the final 10K. The energy budget was well managed as I successfully achieved a negative split and a PR by 12 seconds with a finish time of 3 hours, 7 minutes, and 44 seconds. I also finished third in my age group of 50 to 54. I got to share the race experience with my daughter who completed her first half marathon well ahead of her goal time. The day could not have gone more perfectly. That's awesome. He is so fast. Wow, 3.07.44. I think this is like his second PR this year because you met him at the Wasatch Revel Marathon, and I think he PR'd there as well. Yeah, he's having a great year. Well, it's awesome to see clients go out there and kick butt on race day. If you'd like to get expert help in achieving your goals, don't forget we have we have a team of coaches with deep expertise, so we'd love to get you matched up with a coach who can help you unlock your potential. You can find out more about our coaching program at marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash coaching. And congrats to all of you out there taking action in your goals. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It is with the author, Brendan Leonard. He is an outdoor writer, adventurer, filmmaker, speaker, and his new book is called I Hate Running and You Can Too. A lot of what he talks about in the book, I think, can be important for new runners, especially to remember. Like one thing he talks about is it's okay to walk in a marathon or an ultra. And the big secret is a lot of people do it. That's right. What else can we tell people about Brendan? He makes a living as a full-time freelance creative, writing books and articles and going on lots of adventures himself. His work has appeared in The Alpinist, CNN, Outside, National Geographic Adventure, Backpacker, Adventure Cyclist, and dozens of other publications. And if hearing this makes you inspired to uh, sign up for a race, we just want to give one final plug for the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. I actually signed up for it this morning, so I am now going to be running the half marathon November 13th. There's even a Drury Hotel down there, our hotel sponsor. This is a well-supported race. Of course, they have an 8K as well as a marathon and a half, so something for the whole family. The course is mostly flat. It's got some rolling hills. It is Virginia, of course, but it's great for first-timers. So if you want to go run Richmond, um, you can actually use our code MTA and get a uh, $10 discount between now and November 13th, so right up until race day. Just go to richmondmarathon.org. Use the code MTA for 10 bucks off. Okay, we're on the podcast now with Brendan Leonard, author of the book, I Hate Running, and you can too. Brendan, welcome to the MTA podcast. 
Thanks for having me. So let's start with this. Why do you hate running and how can we learn to hate it too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that the, the A in hate is a heart. So it's, yes. it's this conflicted emotion. I, I hate it for about the first 50 minutes. And then after that, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like anything. We're just, you know, any sort of exercise, we're always trying to just find something that we can trick ourselves into doing, you know, in order to stay fit and be happy. And running is no different. You know, a lot of people talk themselves into lifting weights or doing CrossFit. Those things are probably just as not fun as running is for us. Yeah, I, I kind of hate it, but I still do it. You keep coming back for more at least, huh? Yeah, for a guy who hates running, you've certainly done a lot of it, including 100-mile ultras. Yeah. No, I mean, why not get it all over with at once, I guess. <laughs> you know? So tell our listeners how you got into running in the first place. Boy, I mean, I ran track in high school. I think I ran the 400 a couple times my senior year, and I told my coach, this is not this is not sustainable. Um, it, that's long distance for me, uh, <laughs> as many people may have experienced. Like right around 250 meters, you just fall off a cliff, and you're like just dying, just barely finishing the race. So um, yeah, and then I didn't run for many, many years or just kind of sporadically would do it every once in a while. And I uh, actually decided to train for a marathon to quit smoking in 2006. And that was uh, that was the worst thing I've ever done. I decided to take a solid uh, nine year break from it uh, after that. So I was mostly honestly mostly doing like rock climbing, mountaineering, backpacking, stuff like that, and hiking. So running wasn't wasn't at the forefront for me. And then around 2015, I a friend was signing up for an ultra marathon that was like in the suburbs of Denver where I lived then. And I only had I think I had 23 days to prepare for that. So didn't really train very well, but I come at it. I guess, from more of a, a mountaineering perspective than a actually running perspective. So I thought, well, 50K, 31 miles. I mean, I've had some really long days in the mountains up to like 10, 12, 14 hours. And usually I'm carrying a backpack full of climbing gear and a rope or whatever. And, you know, how much different could an ultra marathon be? Like the cutoff is generous enough that you know if you needed to walk like the last six or seven miles you could long story short i made it through and was like that was awful but then you, you finish the one thing and you're like 50k okay what's the next thing up like could i handle that from there is 50 miles and then 100 miles and then now i'm back down because i don't think 100 miles is that fun for me um <laughs> so so i'm like 100k is just like the perfect distance where it's like get to the point where it's really not that fun and you're really pushing yourself to finish, but you still get to go to bed that night. That's a fun distance for me. So there in Montana, we chatted off mic a little bit how you're in Missoula, Montana. And of course, Angie uh, grew up in Montana and that's where we met, in fact. Um, oh, really? Okay. Are there any marathons in Montana that you could recommend or that you've gravitated to? You know, the Missoula Marathon, uh, I ran it. A year before we moved here, my wife and I just happened to be in town. And I was like, you know, let's just should we just sign up for this race if we're going to be there? Yeah, sure. Um, and it's actually pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, we agree. Um, not so you you guys have run it. Mm -hmm. We've only we've only done it once, but it was it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we we ended up buying a house here, and I I didn't even realize the marathon goes right in front of the house, um, which <laughs> they didn't run it this year, but hopefully next year it'll be back. But yeah, there's it's just it's really scenic. A little bit of elevation gain, which is nice because you could really, really 
make people uh, suffer if you wanted to, if you wanted to design a marathon course. Um, but it's beautiful. It ends right downtown. I don't know if you two remember this, but there's a guy who hauls a grand piano out into his front yard. Yeah, I remember that. And wears a tuxedo and is playing the piano the whole time. But yeah, it's a, it's a solid, I think it's a great marathon. Yeah, I remember the post-race food being really top-notch. And so I always gravitate towards the food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a legit reason to do a marathon. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the chapters in your book is called Walking is Running. And, you know, you talked about your first marathon experience where it was completely miserable and you went into it undertrained. Did you have a different perspective back then that you had to like do a certain amount of running to be considered a runner? And, and what do you mean by walking is running? Um, yeah, I mean, I did not invent that concept. I would say that, I mean, I think Jeff Galloway invented the concept of walking is running. We, we think of running as what we see on the Olympics. And like, that's not true for 70, 80% of the people who run marathons. Like, sure, what you see on TV is the people crossing the finish line with 3% body fat, you know. Um, but there's like thousands of us behind those people who are pretty normal. And like, you know, most marathons, you get to like mile 20, people are battling. And like a lot of people are like, I got to walk for a little bit, you know, which is totally fine. And mm -hmm. I think it's sustainable. Like if you finish... Sure. Walk like a minute of every mile or whatever, whatever you need to do. You know, nobody's watching. Nobody's going to see you on TV. There's an alive feed of your of your race. So I also just think it's such a good way to get into it. You know, if you're if you're a person who hasn't run in, you know, years. Yeah, just walk a couple miles to, to start getting that feeling of moving and being upright again. You know, and I, I think it's just a great entry into it. Plus, I do a lot of ultra marathon distances and a lot of mountain running. And I don't know if it's a dirty little secret, but a large percentage of those races and a lot of those runs are walking because it's so steep. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's just yeah. the winner of the UTMB every year definitely walked several miles of that race course. And like, even, even the people who own the course records have walked parts of that. And I did a film about a hundred mile race. And one of the, one of the comments that I always note is, you know, it's always, a, it's always a guy who's just like, you walked half the race. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but that's generally what happens. You know, the first, mm -hmm. the first mile, I think it's the first 2.5 miles climbs 3000 feet. Literally no one is running up that, sir. I mean, exactly. So. And if they are, they're going to blow up very quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to stop and they're going to go back down to the bottom and quit. So, yeah, I mean, I just I just think like it's people who are incredible athletes are inspiring on one level. But comparing ourselves to them is maybe not the best idea if we want to mm -hmm. if we want to do our best. So, yeah, you have a lot of illustrations and charts and stuff in the book. One thing I remember was the three pillars of ultra racing. <laughs> yeah. You had walking, running, and eating. True. I mean, totally true. Uh, somebody, I just heard this a few weeks ago. It was like, that was ultra running is an eating contest. And like you, I mean, if you're out there for even a 50K, like you can be out there for five, six, seven hours, even the, the shorter distances, you have to find a way to get calories. It's not like you're just running and grabbing cups of Gatorade every few miles. You know, you have to put down real food or at least things that are kind of, I call them space food, where it's like the gels and the, the blocks and stuff like that. But I've had a great time figuring out how to keep fueling these runs. Like 
the la- I just did a 50k over Labor Day and the aid station at 20 miles, they had Cheez-Its and, you know, it's like contactless. So I was just like, just pour me two handfuls of Cheez-Its. And I just walked away from the thing, just like eating it like it was a bowl of dog food, like, like my dog. <laughs> yeah, this is great, you know, and you have to give your body fuel or you're going to bonk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, I'm good at the eating part. I'm not so good at the running part. <laughs> There's another great chapter in the book that uh, is called Do the Verb Until You Become the Noun. Mm-hmm. So can you explain to our listeners what that's all about? Yeah, I mean, it's, I just think, you know, nobody comes up to you with like a certification or a patch that says official runner, like that you get to sew on your jacket or something like that. It's not like getting a driver's license. All you have to do is run. You're a runner, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't have to call yourself a runner if you don't want to. But yeah, I, I think uh, if you do enough of it, you just become the thing. So we don't need to get hung up on it. I guess that's my my whole thinking on that. I think that's a great point because I think we often compare ourselves to those Olympic athletes, to those people who win marathons. And if you keep that as your bar, you're never going to become that runner. So yeah, I really, I really like that chapter a lot because I think more people should claim that they are runners. Yeah, for sure. And and like, do I run 80 miles a week? No, 40 is a pretty good week for me. You know, sometimes it's not even that, but like, I always think, you know what, I can go out and run three miles without stopping. That's pretty good for, to call myself a runner. I think I'll stick with that as a base requirement. So did it work the same with writing? Did you have to have like your first book out there before you saw yourself as a writer? Boy, that's a good question. Yeah. My mom actually said after she read this book, she was like, this is about so much more than running. There's so many parallels in life. I'm like, exactly, mom. Now, now hopefully, hopefully all sorts of companies pay me to speak about the parallels of this, even to their workforce, you know, (laughs) um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think, I think people have a, myself included, you definitely have imposter syndrome with that too. But I had, um, I was not a full-time writer until 2011 and I quit my last office job and got a it was a full-time remote copywriting gig but I was trying to do all this adventure uh, outdoor writing on the side and eventually I grew that to the point where I could just do that full-time but yeah I remember the first time somebody said like a friend introduced us at a trade show at the outdoor industry trade show and the person said oh Brendan what do you do and I said I'm a writer. And it was just like, like, I didn't believe it. And she was like, Oh, cool. And I was like, Oh, she just, okay. All right. We're good. You know, she didn't ask to see your writer idea yeah, card. Exactly. Yeah. She was like, Oh, I mean, the, the worst thing now is like, I'll be, you know, I've been doing it for, you know, over a decade and published a bunch of books and kind of written for a lot of different publications and people, maybe you end up next to him on an airplane and, and they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a writer. And they say, well, would I have read anything you've written? And you're like, no, <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely not. There's absolutely no way, you know, and then and then you tell them what you've written because it's like there's like a, I think that statistic is there's a million new books published worldwide every year. Like, yeah. the chances that someone has read, read something I've written is like zero and i don't think any that's probably the same for everybody who sits on an airplane besides like uh jk rowling or uh or john grisham (laughs) yeah (laughs) have you heard of harry potter oh yeah okay great you know yeah that's what you should do have you heard of harry potter i didn't write that (laughs) not me at all exactly yeah i was kind of wondering about being a writer you've done all these incredible adventures all around the world does it help you to enjoy the experience, get more out of the experience because you're a writer? Or do you find sometimes that you have trouble being in the moment because you're like writing in your head? 
Oh, exactly. Yeah, both. I mean, I think I've just realized this last year, well, in the last few months, that taking little 10-second video clips is actually so much more helpful for me to be able to remember something than photos, than writing, than anything. There's no sound in photos when you look back on them five years later. And when you watch a video five years later, it's so much more fun. But yeah, I think you're always trying to think of like, what's the big, what's the bigger story here? Or like, yeah, I think some types of writers would say, yeah, it definitely helps you pay more attention. And I tend to not, I tend to be the opposite of that. I think those types of people would, are the people who are trying to capture a scene and can talk about what types of plants they're passing by and like, you know, describing the scenery. And I am very terrible at that. I'm always in my own head thinking about what this whole thing, you know, like, what is the bigger picture? And so I miss a lot of stuff. I'm like going back to like my Strava map and going, what mile was that that I passed by the thing that I thought might have been a bear or let, you know, like <laughs> um, I don't remember details that well. But on the other hand, if I do do something that's like a bigger trip that I know I'm going to write about, I keep a little journal and I'm terrible at journaling daily life. So I can go back to those and be like, oh, yeah, that long week long trip. I do have pretty good notes of what what we did. So do you do like these trips and adventures to get content for your writing or do you sometimes you just do them um, for the passion of climbing a mountain or, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, I think I think it started out when I went to grad school. I thought maybe I'd uh, write about music and realized halfway through, I realized that that was going to be a pretty difficult road. And in one of my classes, you had to get published in a magazine in order to pass the class. And that could be wow. anything. It could be like a little hundred word thing and at that point, I was like, well, how am I going to get Rolling Stone to publish one of my ideas? And a friend of mine in the class was like, you should write for like this super small magazine in Idaho. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a magazine. And they pay like $40 <laughs> for a feature article. And I wrote an article for them. And it was just about this quick, like 48 hour road trip we had done. And I realized I can do these things that I want to do anyway for fun and then write about them and share them with people. Maybe that's a way to make a living. Hmm. Um, and at $40 an article, you have to write like like a thousand articles a year. So uh, <laughs> I just figured out a different way to make it work. So now it's like, yeah, it's a way to be able to see the world. And I think kind of um, you can, to a certain point, you can kind of hack being rich. Like you can do these things that rich people get to do mm -hmm. if you're going to write about them. And it used to be you could make more money doing it. So, and like people would give you free trips and stuff like that. And that never really happened for me. That was after that. So now I'm just kind of like, well, I can write it off as a business expense. And hey, we know I've all about that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I've done so many trips where I've just like basically lost money, you know, like let's go do this thing. It'll be cool. We'll write about it. We'll take some photos. And like by the end of the trip, you're like, we just spent 14 days doing that. And we lost $150. If you, if you were to write all the stuff down, all the expenses down. So I don't do that. But I'm like, It'll work. Like overall, it'll work, right? So to take an amazing trip, though, for one hundred and fifty dollars. Oh yeah, exactly. We call them we call them semi-paid, semi-vacations, where you're like, <laughs> yeah. let's go to this cool place. We were kind of working the whole time, and we didn't really get paid. So I don't know. It works out. I, I think about like you know, I grew up in a small town and did manual labor growing up, working factories and stuff like that and then also working in restaurants and the adventure writer was not like a thing that somebody would have said hey this is a possible career for you so I think about it in terms of gratitude if I were to have to stop 
doing all this stuff like tomorrow and just work a regular job and get two weeks of vacation a year and not ever get to do those things that I've gotten to do. It's still pretty good life. Like it would average out pretty well. Um, so mm-hmm. I feel grateful no matter what. I think it kind of ties into one of the chapters of your book, which is write your own definition of success. I mean, were yeah. you kind of thinking about that as you were writing that chapter, whether it relates to running or your profession or a number of things? I kind of just have to in life, right? Like when I was 20, I thought, oh, I'll, I'm going to become a New York Times bestselling author with some like piece of fiction or something like something I'm going to write. And like by the time I get a book published, I'm like, that's maybe not what you want. You know, like I, it may be great. I'm not complaining, but like you don't need to be famous and you don't need to sell 300,000 books to reach people. It would be nice. Like I would not I would not complain about the paychecks, but like <laughs> selling books doesn't mean people are reading the books either, which is something <laughs> really interesting. Um, yeah. And true. there's there's multiple ways that whole scenario can shake out. You can get a huge advance and then not sell that many books and then you never get to write a book again. So hmm. what you think is success when you're, you know, when you're young or, or years ago may not even be what, what it's all it's cracked up to be or it may not be what you think it is. So I think about that too. And I don't, uh, you know, for some people, success in running is running the fastest possible time they can run over a given distance, um, maybe in a race with a group full of other people. And for me, I am unable to prioritize speed in my life and I'm just not interested in it. For me, it's range, like how much further can I get? and Hmm. How far can I go in the backcountry here? And how much more can I see without any support you know like can i go out and do like a 35 mile run yeah i can i can pull that off you know depending on the availability of water or whatever and my fitness level um so that's my definition of success and like i'll be i'll be doing the new york city marathon in november and sure i would like to just have a pr but i don't I don't care that much. I'm also, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is going to be the end of like a lot of traveling for me and a book tour. And I'm running with a friend of mine who's, is it more important for me to like run my best time? Or is it more important for me to hang out with him for the whole race? And like, Mm -hmm. that's success to me is if Sid and I have a good time and we finish together, that's a successful race for me. And I'm just a tourist doing that race. It's just such a fun way to see the city. So why, why be worried about lactic acid or whether I'm going to poop my pants or whatever, you know, it's just like, I'll just let's just cruise, man. It's cool. That's what's great about our sport is since all of us are doing this, you know, most people are doing it recreationally. We're not trying to win the New York City Marathon or anything like that. There's so many definitions of success that are possible. Maybe somebody wants to try to qualify for Boston. I know that's something Angie likes to do. I'm not anywhere near it, and I'm not. That's not my goal either. I'm like you. I don't care about speed, but I do like love those really gnarly mountain marathons and just getting through one uh, before the time cut off. That's my definition of success. Yeah. Yeah. At least the last marathon I did. Do you two run into that as coaches, like differing goals for people? Do your clients have different goals where they're like, no, I just want to like get this distance done or or something like that? Yeah, we have a lot of people who are doing their first half marathon, first marathon, first ultra. And so it's all about going the distance and doing Mm. it injury free. You know, and then we do have a lot of people who want to improve their time. And so it's all about, you know, really helping the person discern what their goal, what their drive, what their motivation is, and then helping them accomplish that for sure. Because my goal for someone may not be even relevant if that's not what they're willing to work for and put the time in, because it is a lot of hard work too. 
For sure. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there any? Is anybody ever come to you with a goal that's so nebulous you don't know what to do? Like, oh, I just want to be happy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh. <laughs> Running may make you happy, but also may make you uh, less happy sometimes, <laughs> like you said. <laughs> right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation thus far. Quick break to thank Bioactive Nutrients for sponsoring this episode. They have a device called the Pioneer Smart Point Air Treatment System. If your air quality has been affected by wildfire smoke or other pollutants, sometimes new furniture and new carpet can off-gas and create bad-smelling air. Also, this system is effective against airborne viruses. Pretty appropriate for these days. That's right. It removes particulates, including dust, pollen, pet dander, and smoke. Also microbial, that would be mold, mildew, fungi, bacteria, and some viruses. And then other chemicals and odors leaching out of various furniture. And as a person who is sensitive to mold and also a mild allergy to our cat, I love this thing. <laughs> Just head over to bioactivenutrients.com MTA and look for the Pioneer Smart Point Air Treatment System and save up to $100 with the code MTA. Thanks to Bombas for sponsoring this podcast. Bombas' mission is simple, to make the most comfortable clothes ever and to match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. I love my Bombas socks. They're so comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. Concerning the socks, there's tons of options. They have comfy performance styles with the sweat wicking ability. And they also have those no-show socks that'll never fall down. And they have underwear. Underwear that's so breathable, you'll feel like you're wearing nothing at all. And what's cool is that when you buy a pair of socks, they'll give a pair of socks to someone in need. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters. Just go to bombas.com slash MTA. Use the code MTA for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S, bombas.com slash MTA, and use the code MTA for 20% off. So I wanted to ask you about when you did 52 marathons in 52 weeks. What was the driving force behind that? And tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I was just uh, I was turning 40 that year and I was like, ah, maybe I'll do something interesting. And if you Google that sort of thing, you're well aware that many people have done it before. And there's a few different ways that people do it. And one of them is to run races every weekend, which is a logistical and financial nightmare, I think, for me. And a lot of the people who do that are raising money for a charity. So they're able to get sponsorship and et cetera, et cetera. So it shakes out, but I just didn't, I can't spend my whole year traveling like that. So I just thought, you know, maybe I'll just try running them like from my front door or wherever I am, you know, just like try to sneak in a marathon and not necessarily every Saturday for 52 weeks. Um, just, just do 52 throughout the year. Um, yeah, I started, I didn't really tell anybody. I was just like, told my wife and maybe a couple friends. I'm like, yeah, I think I might try this. And in case you wanted to back out. <laughs> well, I, I think I put enough pressure on myself anyway, like to have people follow me on social media and know I'm trying to do something is not that cool. It's just like, I don't want that added pressure because I'll tell myself, oh, these people are expecting me to finish or expecting me to do this. And like, they're not, they don't care. They got, you know, 500 other accounts they follow. They don't really, because there's, there's two different uh, takes on that. It's like, one is you should tell people your goals so that hold you accountable. But like the other one is don't tell anybody and just do it. Cause I don't think, I don't think there's that many people in your life that will hold you accountable, you know, like. Mm -hmm. 
some nobody's going to be like, hey, it's week 30. What's going on? Did you are you giving up? You know, like they don't care. They got so much stuff going on in their lives. So, yeah, I was just like, yeah, I'll just try. And I mean, who knows? Yeah, I was like 40. I might get injured if I run 20 of them and then I like have a sprained ankle. Cool. I, I didn't like build it up to be this thing. I can just quit. Unfortunately for me, I did not get injured. And uh, like I ran one on January 2nd, got chased by a dog on like gravel roads in my parents' house in, in Iowa. Um, and then I was like three days later, I'm like, yeah, I might as well try another one. And I did so many laps around City Park in Denver that year. It was just like insane. I think it was two and a half miles around maybe. And I would just loop the park and I just hated it. People are like, what's wrong with that guy? And someone, oh, he must just turn 40. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a midlife crisis. You're like, oh, I can't afford a convertible, so I'm doing this instead, which is equally dumb. You know, it's like, yeah. And then I did a number of longer races, and I had I had talked to a friend earlier in the year, and I said, well, I'm signed up for this hundred mile race. I think that just counts as one marathon. He's like, you're an idiot. That's three marathons. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So. I would literally start and stop my watch in the middle of an ultra. Be like, oh, okay, hit 26.3, better. Better start it over for marathon number two of the day. So it was kind of ridiculous in a sense. But I think that what, what people do is inspiring. Like people, there's people who have run 365 marathons in 365 days, which is inspiring in a way, but it's also just crazy. You know, like people, normal people are going to look at that and be like, I could do that. And I thought, well, if I do this, maybe somebody will run a 10K every week for a year, you know, or, or something like that. Maybe they'll be inspired in, in some other way. It's kind of like one of those things, just like, well, I got nothing better going on. I might as well give it a shot and see what happens. You seem very nonchalant about most of the stuff that you do. Is that kind of your personality or, or did it develop over time? You're like, you know, I need to just be more relaxed and keep a looser grip on goals. That's a good question. I think self-deprecation as humility is sort of a style, I guess. Okay. Um <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really the relentless self-promoter type of person where it's like, I am the greatest. I ran 52 marathons in 52 <laughs> weeks. It's like somebody's going to come and shoot you down if you, if you do that. I think they're going to be like, there's dozens of people who have done that. You're like, yeah, but you're right. There's dozens of people who have done that before. I'm like, I'm just going to get in front of the joke. I'm just going to admit this, you know, before, before you take a shot at me. So I don't know. I mean, I had a friend a long time ago, still have a friend, Dave, who rode his bicycle everywhere and hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, did the Great Divide uh, mountain bike route on a fixed gear bicycle. And he told me one time that when he rode his bike, he tried to wear normal clothes, not like cycling clothes, because he didn't want people to see him and think that it was some sort of special thing. He wanted people to look at him and think they could do the same thing. And He's crazy, but people who see him riding his bike on the street don't know that. They're like, oh, a guy on a bike who is just wearing like cotton pants. Hmm. That's fine. Maybe I could do that. And I think about that a lot. It, like I've said a couple of times, like high achieving athletes are super inspirational in a way, but I find a lot of inspiration in the, the quote unquote normal people who are, who are doing these things too, who mm -hmm. look like me or look like, you know, like we don't look like these super athletes that we that are at the front of the pack. So yeah, maybe the nonchalance is a little bit of that too. Like you think like maybe if this idiot can do it, I could do it too. Yeah, you probably could. <laughs> I mean, we believe we're all capable of doing a lot more than we often give ourselves credit for. And there's a chapter in the book, chapter 10 called it's only half about running. So what's the other half? I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, most of the time I'm out here doing this as a metaphor for other things in life, you know. Yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm lucky to have had a life where I, I wasn't born into 
a ton of extreme challenges. Um, had a had a pretty good childhood and, and adolescence, and so I've been able to go seek out challenges that represent other things in life. And a lot of people who've had really rough childhoods probably approach a lot of things like, well, I got through that, you know, abusive father, abusive mother, or alcoholic parent or whatever, I can get through whatever else in my life. And Mm -hmm. for me, running is sort of become that or these physically difficult things. It's like, if I can handle this, maybe I can handle some other stuff, the hard things that life throws at me. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think that works to a point, you know, you're like, I mean, I can't imagine childbirth. um, But I imagine when you get done with that, you're probably like, okay, other things, maybe not that big of a deal, you know, like, (laughs) somebody you know got my starbucks order wrong i think i'll be okay i you know i birthed a human uh, like that was yeah. that was kind of a big deal so i think it's a way of trying to figure out how to navigate life and by purposely making yourself do hard things i also think if you want to do if you want to do cool stuff you have to do cool stuff it's not going to just happen you have to like make yourself do it then you can look back and say wow that was that was actually pretty impressive or Mm -hmm. I'm proud of myself for doing that, but it doesn't, doesn't happen. You have to like put in the work. Angie, what's worse running 50 miles or having a baby? Uh, definitely the baby. (laughs) (laughs) The 50 miles, you can stop at an aid station and eat Cheez-Its. When you're having (laughs) a baby, you just like no stopping that train, you know? (laughs) What are their Cheez-Its? No, No, they can't, they won't let you eat anything because in case you have to go get a C-section. So you gotta, you get like ice chips. You know, a friend of mine uh, a long time ago, and I cite this as like the thing that got me into ultra running, but he's a climber and I was posing to him the question about being, you know, hardcore. And he said, you know, if you're climbing a mountain, it's really easy to stay motivated to keep going because you either have to go down or you have to go up and over and you have to keep moving. Like you're literally, you're not going to just sit down and call 911. Like you have to keep moving or you're going to die. And he said, when you're in a marathon, like an ultra marathon, if you're running 100 miles and you get it to like 50 miles, nobody's having fun at that point. Hmm. What is stopping you from just sitting down at an aid station where they have like a fire going and all this food? (laughs) You're just like, you know what? This sucks. I quit. And he's like, to keep going in the face, like when you have that option is way more hardcore. And I think about that a lot. Like people will say, I've heard people say this as I'm running by an aid station or trying to just stop in the middle of the night in a hundred, they'll be like, don't go to the fire, you know, <laughs> cause you'll just get stuck there and be like, Oh, it's so warm. How, how could I ever leave? Don't sit in the chair. <laughs> yeah. Like childbirth, you kind of have to finish one way or another, right? There's no, there's no real outs now, but yeah, obviously I'm not going to have that experience in life. <laughs> so I'm curious, what is the most challenging race that you've ever done in the middle of it? Maybe at mile 50, whenever you felt like I'm totally in over my head here. Yeah, boy. Um, I did the Hellbender 100 in North Carolina. It was the steepest thing I've ever done to that point. Probably still. It's, it's 100 miles and 24,000 feet of elevation gain. Ooh. I had um, not yet discovered toe socks or not yet adopted toe socks and ran through. There's a section. There's It's an old horse path that essentially becomes sort of a trough filled with water for miles and miles and miles. And Man. uh 
yeah, my feet got soaked and I didn't have, I didn't have an opportunity to change my socks for like Mm. seven or eight more miles and developed blisters. And like by, I don't know, mile 75, the pain was like starting to shoot up from the balls of my feet into my legs. And like, it's not fun anyway. And I don't do well in the last 20, 30 miles of those super long races. So I just keep slowing down and slowing down to the point where probably do a couple miles faster when I'm like 90 and have a walker. Um, (laughs) Like if you saw video footage of yourself finishing those races, you'd be like, Whoa, I thought I was running. And you're like, you're not. (laughs) Um, So it just kept going on and on and on. Uh, My wife paced me. And at that point I'm, I feel like I'm really dragging this person down. I wish she would just, I wish there was an option for her to just leave me alone. So I could just be in this personal hell by myself, but Hmm. hardest, hardest thing I've ever done for sure at that point. Um, hardest race I've ever done because when you're slow they just they take forever it's like yeah people finish in 20 hours I take like 30 I'm like this is this is almost a different sport at this point you know the winner went home went to bed got up had some coffee and it's like oh here comes Brendan you know it's like <laughs> oh man I've been out the whole time <laughs> I haven't slept so those are really hard for me and I don't know that I'll do another hundred, but it is nice to have done three of them. And I feel like I'm getting marginally better, but maybe not enough that I, I don't know if I want to get that much better, have those experiences that much more. I don't know if your pain tolerance needs to be taken to the next level, right? <laughs> yeah. Like what, what more am I getting out of this at this point? So who knows though? Yeah. In a race like that, what could you have done differently? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, everything did go pretty well besides my feet. So it's at that point, had I known, I might have put an extra pair of socks in my vest. Hmm. I stopped at mile 35, and I think I did change socks at that point, um, but I would have grabbed another pair of socks. And I also would have worn toe socks because they have been extremely helpful uh, since that point. Just keeping your toes from rubbing against each other. Yeah, it doesn't give them them that option. I've I've been able to get blisters in toe socks doing other things, but um, yeah, I think races that long it just becomes like there's this whole element of self-care where you're like you literally have to stop yourself and be like no 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 you have to eat or no you have to change your socks or whatever and maybe it's not the same for everybody but i become like basically a two-year-old uh and that's sort of why i have people pace me or ask people to pace me because i'm like you cannot let me sit down just that's the one thing you got to do and you got to make me change my socks at mile 75 no matter what I say because I'll just be like I don't want to change my socks or like I, <laughs> I want to sit down and yeah I don't want to eat anything and like they become this sort of it's almost like a live-in uh, nurse or something like that or like nope you're doing it they're rolling you over and like we're taking a bath today and like <laughs> so a lot of people are able to to make it through those things without that but that's I need it I guess at that point. Well, maybe with ultras, it's kind of like eventually the little things do become the big things. And if you don't attend to those little things early on, you're going to be in a whole world of hurt. (laughs) For sure, right? And gastrointestinal stuff generally does not improve. You know, if you once it starts, you're going, oh, what's that going to be? It's not going to like settle down, you know, Um, Hmm. and blisters, the same thing. But yeah, that that race was that race was difficult. Definitely sadomasochistic for sure. Um, For me, anyway, I'm sure somebody had fun doing it. But yeah. Awful. It made you hate slash love running even more, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I loved having done it. Like, yeah, I'm exactly. proud to finish that thing. So, yeah. That exactly. That's perfect distillation of uh, the love hate is like, I hate it while I'm doing it, 
but after it's over, I love having done it. I feel that way after every marathon. For sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it's almost like everything I do for quote unquote fun is like that. You know, <laughs> no one likes mountaineering. They like to have a photo of themselves, you know, doing it. <laughs> like, wasn't that cool when we did that climb? You know, like, no, it wasn't cool. It sucked. Do you remember? Like, we were up, we got up at 1230 a.m. <laughs> And slogged up in the dark with like crampons on for hours and hours and hours. Like, no, the whole thing was awful. I mean, the sunrise was great, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not fun while you're doing it. You know, it's not like sitting on the beach. That's that's fun, I guess. Yeah. For some, I allegedly, I don't know, I don't do it, but <laughs> yeah. I can testify that it is fun. Okay. Well, it's been great speaking with you, Brendan. And if people want to grab a copy of the book or find out more about you, where can we send them? Uh, my website is semirad.com. That's probably the best place to find. There's uh, tabs for books and stuff like that. All right. Well, we encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of the book, I Hate Running and You Can Too, by Brendan Leonard. Brendan, thanks for joining us and keep up the great work. Thank you for having me. Um, this is super fun. Thank you. All right. Well, big thanks to Brendan for speaking to us. Like I mentioned in the beginning, the book is a quick read and very funny. I hate running and you can too. I I regret that I didn't think of that book title myself. (laughs) Not that I've ever written a book. All the little clever charts and graphs are really awesome too. So one of the things that we talked about is you get to decide what your definition of success is. I thought that was a great chapter. It's a great thought because sometimes we can stress ourselves out trying to keep up with the awesome things that people are doing, like our running friends. Uh, or we always feel this pressure maybe to run faster every race that we do. And the reality is that's impossible. So it doesn't matter what race you're in. You're probably not going to be trying to get on the podium and win. So we get to decide what success looks like for us. So Angie, I want to ask you, with the Boston Marathon coming up, what does success look like for you in the 2021 Boston Marathon? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, and a bit complicated too. I don't think I can do like a like a little pithy soundbite. <laughs> That's okay. Um, as many people know, I've been struggling with a hamstring issue for over a year and been working on rehabbing it and different things. So I recently saw a sports medicine doctor who I really like and is a runner, which win-win right there, mm-hmm. <laughs> and discussed um, running Boston on the 11th. And he was very supportive of it and is doing on their end, helping me out with that goal. But because I have this issue that's kind of hobbled me in my last marathon, I don't really know how the race is going to go. So I think it's going to be more about my attitude, really, mm-hmm. and keeping a positive frame of mind, just being super grateful that I'm able to be at Boston again. And I think dealing with an issue at least helps me really be grateful that I am a healthy person. Generally, I have great health and I'm just going to do my best, you know, and listen to my body. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. It'll probably mean walking those Newton Hills, (laughs) but I'm a fast walker and, you know, just going to do my very best on Monday. See, that's my attitude every race, but you and I have different personalities. You are very type A. The whole reason why you're in Boston and I'm not because you're faithful in your training. So is it is there extra pressure as a type A person to uh, go out there and, and face the, the prospects that you might have to walk and finish a lot slower than you would like to? Um, I think, yeah, as a type A person, we definitely put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I will also say, you know, some of that self-induced pressure is because we do have an audience who we love, <laughs> but people will be following my experience in Boston and, you know, and asking how it goes. 
sometimes it can be an issue of pride and wanting to do your very best and perform really well, but also having to weigh the fact that I need to be smart and there are some limitations that I do have right now that I have to keep in the balance. So I think it's kind of been about holding things very loosely with my running and just trying to be grateful for every running experience that I have. Yeah, I agree. You might also be able to reframe it where there could be folks listening uh, to this or who follow us who will be inspired by uh, the fact that you're injury prone just like they are, right? Because some runners do have bulletproof bodies like a Dean Karnazes who who's never had an overuse injury and the dude like runs dozens of ultras or more every year. But you, I mean, you, you're out there, you've, you've done over 60 marathons and it hasn't been easy with keeping injuries at bay because you consider yourself to be an injury prone person. Yeah, I am for sure. And also, you know, you can do everything quote unquote, right. That you know how to do to keep yourself healthy and stuff can still happen. So there is that big unknown when it comes to running, especially marathons. And you don't know if you're going to get a warm day with the weather or a humid day or a freezing day. You know, there's just so many elements that go into running a marathon that I think part of that big puzzle (laughs) um, maybe is what keeps us challenged and keeps us coming back. So it sounds like it'll be a success for you, just the fact that you're able to be there and just to soak it all in and to move along the historic Boston course. I didn't say run because you might not always be running the whole time. <laughs> I said to move along that uh, historic Boston course will just be a, a privilege, right? That's right. And, you know, icing on the cake will be crossing the finish line uh, with a smile on my face. Awesome. So definitely think about what is your definition of success. That's it for this episode. Thanks for being a listener. If we can help you in any way, reach out. There's a contact form on our website. Always love to hear from you. Until next time, keep taking action. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Run on my way.